She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. An hour before Democrat leaders were scheduled to go to the White House to meet with the president to talk about rebuilding our nation's infrastructure, the Speaker of the House actually accused the President of the United States of engaging in a cover-up. There is an itch in our caucus for impeachment, but let's not uh, deal with that yet. It's not just the Speaker Pelosi. Adam Schiff done this for two years, lied to the American public. Chairman Nadler, people ought to look at this. When he ran for chairman of the committee, you know what he went to his Democrat friends to say why to vote for him? Because he was the best person to be in place to impeach the president. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for sticking around. We have more fantastic content for you this hour on the program. We're going to be chatting with Everett Bartlett. He is actually the president of the Coalition to End Domestic Violence, and he's going to talk to us about the Violence Against Women Act, which actually will bring fresh violence to American women um, in spite of its title. And he's going to join us to explain exactly what all of that's about. We are also going to be digging into impeachment, 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 and um, how the NRA and other gun rights groups are seeking to have a Second Amendment win um, based on some wrongheaded legislation that was enacted in New York State. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, Right now, I want to go to the phones and call lines are still open if you have something you want to chat about from last hour or anything at all, um, you know, bring it. Let's talk about it. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Hey, Randy in Alabama, thank you for calling the show. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How about you? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I just... I was just listening to everything you said, and, and your screener asked me, what do you want to talk about? And I said, all the above of everything that you were just talking about. <laughs> but um, I, I've, been on, I've been on Twitter for a year and a half, and I'm a special ops veteran, so obviously I'm, I love my country like no other. And um, I got off Twitter about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, because what I found myself doing was exactly what they're doing. Because Make no make no mistake about this. This is good versus evil. It's, mm-hmm. it's 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 not about Democrat versus Republican. This is good against evil, and the Democrats know exactly what's coming. They know what we all know. We know, they know what you know. Everybody's been saying on Fox News for the past year. You know, to the point where it's just like, get on with it already. Start the indictments. We all know what happened, and they're. You know what Nancy Pelosi, what you were just talking about earlier when she said, you know, they need to have an intervention. The family needs to have an intervention mm-hmm. with, with Donald Trump. I mean, it's it's just it's ludicrous. It's insanity. And the reason that I got off of Twitter is because, like I was saying, is that I was bringing myself down because I'm on Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, saying negative things about Nancy Pelosi, saying negative things about Cohen with the chicken, the bucket of chicken when Barr didn't show up. Mm-hmm. All this is is a to buy time, buy time, buy time, and and try to get him impeached before the hammer comes down. And make no mistake about it, when this comes down, what's getting ready to happen? It, it America has never been has never seen this before, and America's not going to be prepared for this. And I, I'm not, you know, chicken little. The sky has fallen. I just from from things that I've read, from homework that I've done over the past several years is it's going to get real ugly real quick. 
And um, I just, I just, I guess I wanted to say to everybody out there, whoever's listening, is that, you know, don't fall for what the Democrats' tricks are. Don't fall for the Alyssa Milano, because all they want to sow is division and hatred in America. President Trump is the best thing that's ever happened to this company. And I don't care if he's, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm, I'm, I'm an American, and I'm for our military. So what, whoever's going to be in office that is going to help our military exceed its goals, achieve its goals, that's who I'm going to vote for. And for eight years, Barack Obama did not have any clear rules of engagement for the soldiers that were on the ground in Afghanistan, in, in Iraq. It doesn't matter. He had no clear rules of engagement. And if you're a soldier, if you don't have those, you, you, you're, you're, you're flying a ship in the middle of the night and you don't know where the port is. So um, I, just, I just hope everybody really you know, sits back and takes a look and look around and see what's really happening. And, and and Trump has done nothing wrong. These people have done nothing wrong, and uh, and and, and uh, they're going to rue the day once these indictments start and get get handed down. And I really want to thank you for taking my call, ma'am. Oh, sure. And Randy, thank you for your service. I really appreciate you joining in and, and sharing that with us today. So one of the things that I I really struggle with is whether or not to continue on on Twitter. Um, I think I have 67 or 68,000 followers on there and they kind of clamp down on me with the algorithm. So I don't have any growth there. I do tweet every day, but I'm, I'm not on there 24 seven. Like I was when I was getting, you know, a thousand followers a day and you know, a thousand followers a week at, at some points I was on there hours out of the day and it was unsustainable. I, and, and I also found the same thing that Randy was just describing where, it just was sucking the life out of me. I felt like some nights I'd argued and I'd fought and, and I just had so much interaction, but most of it was negative. And even when I would have a good you know, interaction where someone said, okay, fine, I agree with you or okay, fine, you made your point. After hours of tweeting back and forth with people, and sometimes it would go on for days, the same two or three people arguing points or um, I would be tweeting out live tweeting an event or live tweeting something that I was watching and they're coming in with all of these criticisms and personal attacks. And it just, it kind of makes you psychotic and paranoid and unhappy. And so I took a much lighter tack after that where I want to, I want to grow, but I don't want to do so at the expense of my sanity. And so my account doesn't grow anymore. And I have been just, I feel like I'm supposed to be moving towards less of the social media giants where they're in control of what my access is and back to my original place, which was stacyontheright.com. And if you look at the older posts from when the blog first started, I would post there three times a day and it was my primary place to put stuff and people knew if they wanted to see what I was up to, they would go there and read whatever I'd written or the video I'd posted or, you know, and it was much more witty and pithy and there were fewer fights because it just was the way it was back then. And I feel like I'm supposed to kind of go back to that because as much as we fight and as much as we are going against what the social media giants are doing, their orientation is not such that they're, they're not engaged in a conversation with us or a debate. They're closing the loop. They're, they're closing the circle. And at some point it becomes so tight that you're no longer in it, right? <laughs> so um, I, I do, I'm not saying I'm going to leave Twitter permanently or Facebook or anything like that or, you know, to, to kind of disengage from it. 
but maybe the primary place for me to post my thoughts and stories and all of that isn't there. Maybe the place where I can ensure that if you go to StacyOnTheRight.com, there's no algorithm that prevents you from logging into that site and reading what's there. And you can share it wherever you want to, but you can always get to it. And you, if you sign up and you say, I want notifications, you know, then you can get notifications and there's no algorithm that says, I'll show you StacyOnTheRight.com content, but then I won't show it to you for two years. That's happened to so many people on the Facebook page, which has 82,000 followers and 80,000 likes. And the majority of those people don't get anything from the page. Um, even right now, we're live streaming there. And our live stream has been clamped down to, we used to get solid 3,000, 4,500 was a great day. 7,800 was an even better day. Now, we have 1,000 views. Basically, the bare minimum. Now, some of that is a function of people hitting the share button. If you're watching the live stream and you don't share it, then of course it's not going to grow. It's the same thing with people who listen on radio. If you're listening to the show on terrestrial radio and people don't know that you like American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, then no one ever finds out that they should be listening to us too. Now, I know that's not the case. I know our terrestrial listeners share and are really plugged in. And, and of course, after share I can't criticize y'all. I mean, y'all threw down. It was a total, it was a total party over here. Uh, and I, I should say in Tupelo at, at AFR. But it's just a really interesting time. You know, um, maybe the social media giants will become more equitable, but it doesn't look like that's what's going to happen. And so the best thing to do is just to have an outlet that is, completely a separate from what they are and what they do. And I know for some people, especially if you've done this for a while, you know that you can have a great blog. It can be fantastic, but there are millions and millions and millions of blogs. And so one way to distinguish yourself with your blog is to post content from your blog on social media, to send it to Twitter, send it to Facebook, and then you can get tons of hits in one day. If it's a good thing that you post, a good article, a good video, whatever, and it gets shared to Facebook and it goes viral, you can get, you know, 100,000 hits in a day on your blog. And so that's why people don't want to give up Facebook. But I know that our audience here is many, 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 many times larger than my social media audience. And my social media audience is minuscule in comparison to our listening audience on terrestrial radio and the live stream and the podcasts. I mean, we're talking much larger by by. It's not even a comparison. My social media is a blip compared to that. And so maybe the best thing to do is, is put, put the content over there to make sure that it's somewhere that you can always see it as opposed to trying to navigate through Facebook and get through their little notifications process. Because they've kind of lulled us into this thing where if you don't get a notification, it doesn't exist. If it doesn't show up in your timeline, it doesn't exist. But that's not the truth, is it? I exist outside of Facebook. My work exists outside of their algorithm and their timeline. Whether I'm in the timeline or not, I'm still running around doing stuff out here. I'm still doing a radio show. We're, we, we exist outside of it. And maybe that's the point. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm kind of drives me a little crazy. Um, so I have some good news for the Stacy on the right show family. And I think it's appropriate to share at this point. Um, Demetrius Miner is our associate producer here on the show, and he's a good friend of mine, my, my whole family, my husband and the kids and I, we consider him to be a close member of our family. 
And so I have a couple of announcements to make. First of all, Demetrius will end his uh, booking duties. He books guests for us. And occasionally he'll still, you know, forward us some information about guests, but he will be giving that roll up on the last day of this month. And he also has shared with us and we have celebrated and it's now appropriate to share with you that he has become engaged. He asked his girlfriend to marry him and she said yes, and they will be getting married later on this year, I think. I don't know the date or anything. I'm, I'm just waiting to hear more details. So congratulations to Demetrius and Raisa. Um, beautiful couple. I'm so excited for them. And I feel like, of course, I always say I'm your marriage grandma because I've been married for over 20 years. And if you are just getting in that, I'm your marriage grandma. But I'm so excited for him because it's been a long journey for him to go from where he was and finishing his degree and then working for Americans for Prosperity and now getting engaged. And God has been so good and so he's just blessed in so many ways. And I wanted to make it official and congratulate him on the air. And in addition to making the announcement about him moving on from the show, we're so excited for him. I'm really proud of him and what he's been able to do. And it's just going to be, um, I'm just looking forward to more wonderful things from him and, and his fiance at this point um, as they move forward in taking all these life steps. So much fun. Uh, congratulations, Demetrius and Raisa. I'm so happy for you both. And I'm going to be praying that everything goes smoothly and beautifully and, and just, you know, everything. Um, so that was, I wanted to make that announcement today and share it. And um, just so nice. It's just, it's just so nice. So when we come back, we are going to be digging into a little bit more here on the show. Um, actually, we're going to have our next guest. We're going to be speaking to Everett Bartlett. He's the president of the Coalition to End Domestic Violence. And it, this is... This is in his wheelhouse because of Nancy Pelosi's new bill called H.R. 1585. It actually contains gun control. Um, it is going to be utilized to make it the law of the land that men who think they're women can compete against women in sports and that they can use the same restrooms and changing facilities in public at pools and, and wherever, um, you know, the gym that young women and girls and, and women and their children will have to change with biological males and everyone will be in the nude. I mean, you know what, how it is at the pool. It, this is what Nancy Pelosi wants to push onto you. Um, so he's going to come on and explain a lot about that. All right. We have more after this. I'm Stacey Washington. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, healthcare, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your healthcare. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 855-PSALM-23. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Astute political observers frequently notice the large gap between rhetoric and reality. That is certainly true of some of the Democrat governors in blue states. Their political rhetoric has been critical of the Trump tax reform. The reality is that their state budgets have benefited significantly from those tax cuts, along with the Trump administration deregulation. Fortunately, the editors of the Wall Street Journal collected the news stories and economic numbers to show that blue states are actually receiving a blue state dividend. A rising economic tide is lifting those states in ways that aren't often acknowledged. For example, the governor of California recently was able to revise the Golden State budget to include a $21 billion surplus. That is already a few percentage points higher than the projection just a few months ago. Illinois reported earlier this month that the individual and corporate tax revenues exceeded internal forecasts by more than a billion dollars. That should eliminate most of the state's budget gap for this year. These are not the only examples. The Pew Charitable Trust noted that tax revenues in 41 states have hit records even after accounting for inflation. Revenue was up in blue states like California, New York, Connecticut, and Washington. Of course, it was also up in red states like Tennessee and Texas. At least the Pew Report acknowledged that this significant and extended stretch of growth was due to the Federal Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The increased revenue to these states was due to favorable economic conditions and robust stock returns. One more point is worth mentioning. While these state budgets have received a dividend from tax cuts and deregulation, the citizens of those states should not expect that this dividend would be passed on to them. Politicians in those states were merely going to find another way to spend that additional revenue. I'm Kirby Anderson. And that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Antisemitism, go to viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. Viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's good to be back with you. Happy Thursday to you. Hope your day is going awesome. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Everett Bartlett. He's the president of the Coalition to End Domestic Violence. Everett, thank you for joining in today. My pleasure, Stacey. Good to chat with you. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on about this topic because I'm feeling kind of frustrated <laughs> that this is what the Democrats are working on. Um, it's as if they're on a mission to roll back every positive thing that American women have achieved or accomplished or, you know, things that, that were kind of hard fought for us as women, like sports programming that's just for women. Um, all of that goes away if they get their way. Well, you're, there's, you're, you're right. There's a huge amount of craziness going on right now in, in Washington, D.C., and domestic violence definitely is a good example of that. So let's talk a little bit about this bill. Um, let me get the details here. It's it's HR 1585, and it's named Violence Against Women Act. 
And what we need to do is call our senators and urge them not to negotiate on this because it's already passed the House. Well, it, it really is an act of, of lunacy and craziness. And, and, and I've been observing the, the Washington, D.C. scene for a, a good 20 years, and I've never seen it as crazy as it is right now. Let's, so let's talk about this particular bill that came out of the House of Representatives just last month. Um, and there is so much there that's just, just wacky. It's, it's hard to know where to start, but I'll give you just, you know, you know, a couple examples. So when, when people think about what is domestic violence, they think of, well, um, something physical, some, some kind of physical violence, um, you know, a, a spouse uh, hitting or threatening or harming uh, his or her partner. And by the way, we know now that domestic violence is an equal opportunity problem. Um, and, and this is a shock to some people. Uh, the latest survey found that men are now more likely to be victims of domestic violence than, than women. So, so that's just sort of a, a, a very interesting factoid that we need to think about. But let's go back to this bill that came out of the House. It, it radically redefines domestic violence. So it's no longer something that's just, you know, uh, you know, hitting somebody or shoving somebody or slapping somebody, it now includes four new pieces. And, and, and let me spell this out. The first new part of this definition is emotional abuse. Okay? So emotional abuse includes, you know, calling your partner a name, you know, a, a nasty name. Well, nobody's saying that's a good thing. But do we really want to consider that as a domestic violence crime? that will justify the police knocking on your door, coming <laughs> in with handcuffs, uh, putting uh, no, somebody in, in, in jail. Everett, um, I'm, I'm that... right there with you because the what happens is, and I've seen this in couples, you know, the couples who fight in public. I have seen women, you know, having disagreements with men in public where the name calling was coming from the woman and the man is just kind of standing there or sitting there taking it. And the woman is verbally abusive, profane, and it, and it is actual emotional abuse. So we're saying that in any instance, in any time someone calls someone a name, as wrong as that is, that is also going to be domestic violence? Well, you know, I'm just telling you the, the actual language of this bill, and that's the term is emotional abuse. And, it, and guess what? It doesn't even define emotional abuse. So it really is anything, you know, anybody wants it to, to make it to be. Uh, and that's just for starters. All right, let's go on. Um, um, uh, uh, verbal, uh, emotional abuse. So um, have you ever uh, treated your partner to the silence treatment, or have you ever been treated? Have you ever received the silence treatment? Well, the silence treatment is definitely a form of uh, emotional abuse. Again, do we want the police erasing people because uh, they gave their partner the silence treatment. <laughs> I, I definitely hope not. Uh, I mean, our jails are already brimming with, with uh, too many people who are there for minor things. Um, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, another part of this new expanded definition is what's called technological abuse. What is technological abuse? Well, it's sending, you know, sending a text message 
to your partner that has something offensive in there. Um, well, I think it's fair to say every American has received a text message from their partner that was, you know, irritating or offensive. Um, and and then finally, last but not least, it's financial abuse. Um, so if you told your partner, hey, don't I don't want you to to, to, to bounce the checks anymore. I don't want you to overspend our, our credit card limit. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to say these things and not burst out laughing. They're so ridiculous, but that truly is what's in this bill that just came out of the House of Representatives. So, Everett, we're talking about policing the behaviors of people in the home that are not actually against the law, because... How many men out there are sitting here listening and thinking, I kind of wish I could get the silent treatment sometimes. Like, I'm getting a little bit too much lip. I, I'd like the silent treatment. Or how many women out there are thinking, you know, I'm when when I'm angry, you know, I'm working through some issues. My husband and I, we, we argue like on TV, but then afterwards we make up and we go on about our business. And what they're doing is they're saying anytime someone offends you in even the slightest little way and, and you're in a relationship with them, you can dial 911. Now, we already have people dialing 911 because the McDonald's machine, ice cream machine is broken and stuff like stupid stuff like that. But this would escalate it to the point where 911 would cease to be something that you could use. Well, it, I mean, you, you're, you're totally correct. I mean, I, I mean, it, I think I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this kind of approach could, could potentially uh, render serious harm. To the family unit because we're we're really inviting people to criminalize um, you know these I mean every every relationship every partnership has these relationship ups and downs that's just part of a relationship and if they're if they're really concerning that's why we have counselors we have marriage counselors we have you know couples therapists who specialize this and they and they and they're very helpful they do a very good thing so. Do we really want the police uh, being called into these cases? Do we want these cases hauled before a judge? You know, judge, uh, I've been the victim of the silence treatment for the last uh, three weeks, and I, I, I now deserve a restraining order. Well, okay, that's a lot of willpower doing the silent treatment for three weeks, I just got to say. Um, just, just speaking from my own experience, the silent treatment how how does how does one get past even like a few hours of that anyway? Um, can can we just talk about what this really is? Because I actually don't think that Democrats care whether or not I'm getting the silent treatment from my husband, uh, or if he you know sent me a mean text or told me you know you can't buy any more cowgirl boots. I don't think they care. What I think they care about is putting forward bills that are so outrageous that it distracts us away from the issue at the border. Um, our problems that we're having with, you know, major trading partners like China, the saber rattling by Iran, uh, the, the Russians flying two bombers into our airspace again and having to be escorted out by some of our fighter jets and so many other problems, opioid epidemic, the vaping problem that we're having with teenagers getting you know hooked on vaping and then escalating to cigarettes, um, obesity issues that we have here in this country. We have so many different things that Congress could be working on our budget, the trillion dollars a year that we borrow. Instead, they're working on this, which is a appropriate distraction because it motivates their voters and it turns the rest of us off. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you, Stacy. There, there's so much, there's so many uh, political agendas and there's so much uh, ideology at work here. 
Uh, you mentioned the, the border crisis, and I, and I totally agree there is a, a true crisis going on here. Um, and, and, and let's connect this to the Violence Against Women Act. So this law has long had a provision <clears throat> that has uh, allowed uh, foreign nationals to simply say, oh, yes, I was abused, and that moves them to the front of the line to get a green card and eventual U.S. citizenship. Um, and everybody is now recognizing that's hugely problematic because anytime you reward um, false allegations, people will start to make more of them. And so now we have a lot of American citizens who have been accused, uh, you know, they've, they have a relationship they may be married to a, a foreign national, um, and now they find themselves accused of uh, uh, domestic violence and surprised they find that they have fewer rights to defend themselves against this allegation than that foreign national. And that's just plain wrong. And, and, and if I, you know, this bill that just came out of the House does not address that, that problem or that crisis at all. So you're, yeah, there's that. And there's also um, that any foreign national can accuse you of, you know, there's different things they can accuse you of and completely wreck your life. And then later when it's found, because if you, if they think you're persecuting them and they accuse you of it, then um, they, they have this investigation launched and they get to stay in the country. And then once it's found to be false, they've already gotten to stay and they're not deported. And the whole purpose of it is to launch an investigation so they can stay in the country. Um, that That's, again, such an abuse of our system and abuse of power. It's total tyranny and it shouldn't be done. Um, you also have here that the Violence Against Women Act bill would dramatically increase unemployment insurance. How would that work? Well, so it, it all goes back to these these. Uh, radically expanded definitions. So now let's just go with the, um, you know, the, the, the verbal abuse concept. Um, and by the way, we're not saying verbal abuse is good. We're just saying this really does not need a criminal justice response. But um, <clears throat> let's say a person does say that, you know, that I've been a victim of verbal abuse and, and for whatever reason they leave their job, quit their job, well, if they if they say, well, I'm the victim of verbal abuse, they now have there's a new entitlement in the Violence Against Women Act that says, oh, well, you can receive state unemployment benefit uh, by virtue of being a victim of verbal abuse. And so we're talking about um, untold billions of dollars. Nobody's done the a calculation because it's so big, but we're talking about billions of dollars for un, uh, um, unemployment insurance uh, benefits for people on the basis that they were emotionally abused. Does that go too far? I think it does. Wow. I mean, it, it just keeps getting worse, like you're, the more you describe it, but you're not done. Uh, it also says here <laughs> that the Violence Against Women Act would force shelters to house any man who self-identifies as a woman with women and girls who are victims of sexual assault and abuse. So, yeah, it, the, the, the possibilities got even more bizarre. So um, you and your listeners may have heard of the Equality Act that, again, just passed the House um, last week, and it would confer greater rights 
on on transsexuals. So combine that with the the Violence Against Women Act bill that came out of the House in in April. So yes, you could have that exactly that scenario <clears throat> where abuse shelter where a a biological male but now who identifies as female could demand um, entrance into an abuse shelter and be uh, being you know, uh, spending the night in the abuse shelter with with biological females. Uh, it, it does kind of boggle the mind. I, I was actually there. I witnessed the debate in the House of Representatives, and I and I and actually that point was actually raised in the debate, and the <clears throat> the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee just poo pooed the issue and said, "Well, that's just a non-issue." No, oh. oh, a non-issue, you say? Because. <laughs> <laughs> right. When you're you run away from home from an abusive boyfriend or husband and you're staying in a women's shelter, the last thing you want to see is a man. Even if he's dressed up as a woman, you're not looking for any male contact at all. I mean, we, we that's why they're women's shelters and that's why they don't hire men to work there, except um, as security guards or staff who can, you know, do the heavy lifting. But they don't have men in the the female living quarters because they're concerned that women will be well, they'll be afraid. Yeah. Well, let's actually peel back another layer of the onion here, Stacey, because there is there is really a huge um, ideological agenda behind the Violence Against Women Act. And what is that ideological agenda? Well, the the the, the belief of the advocates of this bill is that we live in a horrible patriarchal society, right? And that uh, that patriarchal uh, uh, ogres, the way they, they maintain their power and control is they engage in domestic violence. Now, if that's not ideologically based, I don't know what is, um, because we know the reasons why people involve, engage in domestic violence. And as I said earlier, it's just as likely a woman, or even actually more likely to be a woman who is the perpetrator. And why does that happen? Well, there's three common reasons. Uh, one is uh, the well, we have the abuse. we have the music going, so we probably can't get to the three common reasons. But All right. I wanted to say thank you so much, Everett Bartlett, president of the Coalition to End Domestic Violence. We will chat with you again. Have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Stacey. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. All right. We will have more for you. I'm Stacey Washington, and this is American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've been all over the country helping disaster victims who lose everything. It's truly a blessing. I really don't have the words to express. And yet they see a glimmer of hope when a volunteer shows up. Building the home, that's the second reason we're here. The number one reason is to share the gospel and and give them hope. It's everything that's right in America. I mean, it really represents the, the best that we have to offer. That's one of the main reasons for doing it, is being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and coming out and working with so many wonderful volunteers. I just feel like it's important in this day and age to teach a child uh, how to serve. Please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, and click on Get Involved. Submit your email address, and the next time we go anywhere with a disaster, we'll invite you to come along as well. I love coming in the job room because you can see 
these pieces of paper, they aren't just a piece of paper. Right. It's a family that's hurting, and it's a gospel opportunity. And you know, I just thank God, you know, for this moment. I mean, I'll be back in my home, and I know it's going to be awesome. Come love others with eight days of hope. I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time, to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for His service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. The Dean's List with Janice Dean. A Port Authority cop from New Jersey that helped a legendary baseball player makes today's Dean's List. Officer Brian Cooney had heard about how desperately kidneys were needed across the country. That's when the officer decided to start the matching process and ended up sparking a donor chain that led directly to Mets legend Ed Cranepool. After about 10 weeks of testing, Officer Cooney was told he was a match to a firefighter. As part of a registry exchange program, the firefighter's wife then agreed to donate one of her kidneys to a stranger, which happened to be a match for Mr. Cranepool. Doctors say that Officer Cooney's donation freed up two other kidneys that would go to people on the donor registry. Mr. Cranepool has been on the transplant list for almost a year, but because of his age and physical condition, it was unlikely he would receive a donation unless it was a private donor. But the slugger never gave up hope that his day would come. Thank you, Officer Cooney. And to Ed, you are in our prayers too. Janice Dean, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Look, I was in California over the weekend talking to people, and the number of women who came up to me and said they're really worried because they think their daughters are not going to be able to have a successful women's sports program because of the drive of the Democrats to basically allow transgender males uh, to dominate women's sports. And I don't think people have realized yet what an assault this is going to be oh uh, on women and on their right to, to compete. Uh, but that's the sort of thing you're not going to get Vogue magazine to print, and you're not going to get the New York Times to print. Uh, and that's why it takes a while. The country gradually recoils after the uh, left-wing establishment has done all it could. And I think you're going to see that kind of recoil on 8 or 10 or 12 issues this, fall, this, this coming year. Wow. So this is definitely uh, one of those, those prescient moments by... Um, Newt Gingrich. And he says that left-wing Democrats want to erase all of our memories of America. They want to take what we have um, built up and they want to completely, they want to change it and make it into something different. And I, I'm not actually one of those people who feels like we can't change anything or we can't improve anything, but this is not an improvement. And I don't, I don't see this as a good faith type of a thing. I mean, do you do you see this as being something where the, these people are actually doing this in good faith? I don't. 
I don't I I don't think this is done in good faith. Now perhaps um perhaps there's a there's a a bit of like it just there's no way to justify it. Like if you try to think about it and you say could it be good or could it be something you can't. There's nothing good to find in it. Women and girls in shelters unable to go to sleep at night because there's transgendered men there. And remember, the, what kind of sick person do you have to be to go into a women's uh, shelter? So you're a man, you think you're a woman, and you want to go into a women's shelter with women and young girls who've already been victimized. For what purpose? Now, we all know that it's, it's an exercise in futility to try to understand mentally ill people and the reasoning behind what they do. But is Nancy Pelosi mentally ill? What about the people who passed this out of the house? Are they mentally ill? Did they not read it? Or is this just an effort for them to pass something that they know that the Republicans won't like so they can annoy Republicans and annoy, uh, you know, anybody, basically anybody who's not on their team? What about all the Democrats? Aren't there Democrats out there who are annoyed by this? I mean, honestly, if you're a Democrat, you're listening right now, can you call and justify why women and girls in abuse shelters should be forced to be with a, 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 a man with man parts in, in the same facility that they're in? Please call in. At, the number is 866-963-2037. We have, you know, a full 11, 12 minutes left for you to and I'm not saying it with, I'm not being sarcastic. If you really believe this is a good idea, please explain how it's a good idea to the rest of us so we can see your thought patterns and your reasoning. It will help us to understand why this is something that they passed out of the house. I'm not saying I'm changing my mind on it. I'm saying if you want to, you can explain and we will definitely listen and I will not cut you off. I will allow you to explain why this is something that is good reason, uh, a good thing to do. 866-963-2037. So, uh, wow. I, I, it feels exhausting. Don't you get that feeling? Do you, do you feel like it's almost as if someone is playing a game with you? <laughs> a mean game? A game that you can't win? Uh, so let's go to the phones. Kelly in Alabama. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for calling the show. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, what if your abuser, if you're a woman in a domestic, you know, like if you're in a safe house mm-hmm. and the abuser wants to get to you and he says he's a woman. Oh, okay, Kelly. See, that <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Wow. <laughs> so I'm, I'm only I'm saying wow, because I hadn't even thought about that. I was just thinking about strangers. You're talking about a man who already beat the woman up and she's run away from him and he comes to the shelter and says, I'm a woman. And then she comes out of the shower or something. And there he is. Yeah. Wow. That could happen. We can't rule that out. I mean, how could you stop him? That would be a discrimination or whatever. It sure would. Yeah. He would be like, they're, they're refusing to let me in and they're a women's shelter and they should have their funding yanked. You know, if they have any kind of like government funding or any, or they're maybe in a building that they're leasing from the government or something like that. He'd be able to basically destroy this option for women who need a place to stay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm in a 
I'm in a, a world where I'm going to wake up, and I've just been dreaming the last couple of years how Me too. Trump has been treated and the country's been. <laughs> Me too. Don't you? Don't you? So I the other day, you know what? The other day, Kelly, I had a dream. It was the other night. I had a dream, and it was so real that I thought when I woke up, I was still in it. And that's what this feels like. This feels like something like when you read these news stories, it's so weird. You're almost like, okay, because you're looking down. I'll scroll to the bottom and I'll say, is this a, is this a, um, like a, one of those parody sites? You know, is this the, the onion or whatever that's called? Um, and the other part about the kind of weirdness of it is that you read the title of the story, like the story, when the story came out about the, the poop maps all over um, for San Francisco, I thought this can't be real, but it's real. Um, the, the mile high pile of garbage in Los Angeles that they can't get hauled away. That's real. Um, typhus, typhoid, you know, that's real. I mean, it just, it's so odd, but it's real. Um, Lisa in Texas. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Stacey. You know, I was just thinking about what Kelly was saying, that the uh, abuser of the woman can come into the shelter, but it could just be any predator, any kind of predator, just like what's happening in Target bathrooms and dressing rooms. This will just legalize it everywhere, all over the country. You know, these, these victims, these women that have been abused and the children, and then you have someone that just, I'm a woman today, you know, and they uh, they can have access. I, mean, I think there's a story already in a, a prison, a rapist who says she's a woman who's now in a women's prison, who's been convicted of rape. How did he get into the women's prison? Oh, he said he was a woman. Because Yeah, I can't remember which state, uh, but it was a state that uh, acknowledged that if you say you're a woman, you then you, yeah. And, I mean... So this means if you're a rapist and you pay attention to the news, you just only need to wait for the nincompoops in your state's government to fix it so you can get close to all the women. You've raped and you've done whatever. You don't want to be in prison with the men because the men hate you because you're a rapist. Because as I understand it in prison culture, the people at the bottom of the totem pole are rapists and pedophiles. They get no respect from any of the other prisoners because the other prisoners, you know, whatever they are, they're not rapists and they're not pedophiles. So it's like a pecking order and you're at the bottom. So you get beat up, et cetera, et cetera. So how to get away from it? Well, get into women's prison by saying you identify as a woman. And then not only are you safe from the men who are beating you, you know, beating the stuffing out of you, but you also then can have access to women who you can rape because you're a rapist. Exactly. And you think about that in any women's shelter anywhere in the country, if this bill passes. And I, I sometimes I just think all of these things are just to get people so distracted and so upset that they'll because they're so afraid of the hammer coming down with all of these investigations into the deep <laughs> state. And the, you know, that, yes, Lisa. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You're so right. It's the so the investigations is what's got them running scared. So they're like they have a tick. I what I, I think it's like a tick where if someone has a nervous tick, you know, and God bless you, I'm I'm not mocking that, but I'm saying if you if if there's a nervous tick for the Democrats, it's impeachment like they say it involuntarily. They can't help themselves. And when they're not talking about impeachment, they have these weird, strange ideas. This bill has zero chance of passing the Senate. Like I can't imagine a world, even Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, who are rhinos, who vote for anything that has to do with women. They side with the Democrats. Even those two would look at this and be like, now, wait a minute now. I ain't voting for that. So it's not getting through the Senate. So what's the point? 
It's a distraction tactic. It's so crazy that I'm I'm right there in the thick of it. Guilty as charged. You can ring the bell over here at Stacy on the right. I'm talking about this on the air. I'm talking about it and bringing attention to it. And as long as we're talking about this, we're not talking about what Lisa just said, the investigations. Now, how now that we have the information from Papadopoulos and Page, Carter Page, and we know what Comey wrote in his book, we know for sure that there just has been, not only was there no collusion, they knew all along there was no collusion. They used the dossier so they could spy on Trump and they were enjoying themselves. Just like on TV when they show somebody spying on somebody else, the spy is always enjoying themselves. That is what we have seen here. Oh, y'all, come on, come on, come on, come on. We have a few minutes left if anybody else. The, the calls today have been brilliant. You, all, all my faves calling in, Lisa, Kelly, um, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So, yeah, um, I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, that there's not. Oh, but again, things they want to distract away from because I'm I'm a little discombobulated because I just can't believe this story. But it says the Bay Area has the third largest homeless population in the United States to report fines. It's a homeless epidemic. That wow. So you have in San Francisco, a homeless epidemic that contrasts against the fact that one in every 11,600 residents is a billionaire and the annual household income necessary to buy a median priced home now tops 320,000. So that's what's driving the homelessness. Now, again, Democrats are always talking about how the, the rich need to be soaked. Why doesn't San Francisco simply raise the taxes on anyone who's a billionaire? This is a local issue. It wouldn't have to go through the federal government. They don't have any Republicans in charge to stop them. They could levy a tax on every billionaire in Silicon Valley. They could target it and make it so that it's a million dollars in net worth, a million dollars in assets, uh, anyone who is a billionaire. If they have one for every 11,600 residents, they could say, how much does it cost for us to house 11,600 residents? And then they could create a specific tax. If you're a billionaire and you live within the jurisdiction, you will tax you the amount that it takes to take, but to make 11,600 people have a home. And then of course the billionaires would leave. We know that, but uh, the point is why don't they enact these policies at the local level? If they feel like taxing the rich works, why don't they? I mean, I think I just stumbled upon that by accident, but hello, hello. That's a good question. So they had a bill to expand affordable housing, but it failed to move forward because it lacked support from a quote unquote diverse coalition of business and advocacy groups. So there's a not in my backyard mentality taking root in big cities like San Francisco. You have billionaires who say, we don't want a homeless shelter in our neighborhood. We want you to deal with the homeless, but can you ship them over to Pleasanton or send them to the East Bay? And so Democrats who are elected there says, they say that the issue goes beyond partisan politics and there's a growing problem of cities thriving economically, but becoming less livable for lower income residents at the same time. And, and this isn't about homeless shelters. Don't allow Democrats to make it seem like the homeless problems that are burgeoning in Democrat run cities across the country have anything to do with shelters because these people need permanent places to live. So building more shelters is a temporary solution that gets people off the street and gets them to using bathrooms and, and you know, living like human beings for a time. But shelter living is degrading in and of itself there's no privacy there and it's horrible it's a horrible situation for women and children there's no safety there 
So the issue is that they need to build affordable housing, meaning they need high-rise buildings, they need apartments, they need condos, they need four families, six families, they need townhomes, they need the full range of housing options that are present all over the country, except in areas where environmentalists have convinced them that there are too many people here already and so we can't build any more homes. We need pristine, large swaths of land with nothing on them but tree frogs and grass and a couple of tumbleweeds. And when they buy into that, the existing housing stock continues to skyrocket in value because everybody's fighting over the same 10 houses. So this story is over at Fox News' New York Times op-ed calls out unlivable conditions in the Democratic-led cities. And I got to tell you, this is some kind of sad. The economy is booming in these parts of California. No one feels good about it. When the cost of living is taken into account, billionaire brimming California ranks as the most poverty-stricken state with a fifth of the population struggling to get by. Since 2010, migration out of California has surged. One out of every 11,600 people there is a billionaire. I know, and being a billionaire is so odd in Missouri, I think we only have two in the entire state, 5.7 million people. It's an oddity here. If you're a billionaire in Missouri, everybody here knows who you are. We all know where you live, but we we know who you are. Oh, my goodness, y'all. Let's keep praying about these issues. If we can't think of a solution, which, you know, we, we're not that great at that. But God has a solution, and he will give it to us if we pray about it. All right. Enjoy your evening. Have a fantastic night. God bless from the heartland. I'm Stacey Washington. <laughs>